This is episode 86 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get started, I want to thank patron David Pruitt for signing up to become a patron of the Landscape Photography Show and supporting the podcast to help it continue going week after week, not only interviewing some amazing photographers, but also building a community over on Patreon that's growing every single week as well. So thank you so much, David. If you want to become a patron, support the podcast and get access to exclusive content and great membership benefits, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston. In this episode, though, we're talking with photographer from Ireland, Darren Spoonley, and I was actually on Darren's podcast, the Irish Photography Podcast, and Darren is just a really good guy, down to earth, really good to joke around with, friendly banter, but he can also really get deep in his conversations and he knows what he believes and I love people like that I love photographers like that and you can really tell through our discussion that he knows what he believes and he's inspired by that and he's also inspired by his home his country Ireland which I've been to I know the friendly people who live there and it was just really refreshing to hear Darren's voice and kind of transport me back to that Irish time that I was there on the Emerald Isle. So in this podcast, we're talking about passions of places that you're from, being ambassadors, Darren's podcast, why he loves it and why he chose that. But I don't want to give it all away right here. So let's get into the podcast. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Darren Spoonley. Darren and I have actually been talking for a couple weeks now because... I actually did an interview for his podcast, which we're going to get into and he's going to mention throughout this episode, I'm sure, because it's a big part of his passion in photography. But Darren is joining us from Ireland right now, unfortunately, in lockdown. Darren, what's going on? David, how are you doing? How are you getting on? I'm good. I'm good. How's, yeah. uh, how's Ireland today? Ireland is still as beautiful as it always is, but as you mentioned, we're on lockdown, so I'm restricted to five kilometers from home, and it's been pretty much that for the last 10 months, I would say, really. But the end is nigh. We are one week away where I can then move further than five kilometers and explore my county. So I'm lucky. I live in Cork, which is the biggest county in Ireland, so I've got a lot to choose from, and I've got a big expanse of sea and seascapes and cliffs. So... I can't wait to get back out. Yeah. So lockdown has been tough, but we're nearly there. We're nearly out of it. If anyone is unfamiliar with who you are, why don't you give them an idea of, of who you are, what you like to shoot, and also how you got started in landscape photography? Okay. So my name is Darren. I'm an out, outdoor photographer from Ireland. I love seascapes. My home and passion and heart is by the sea. So any opportunity I can get, I'm at a coastline or I'm at a cliff and such like that. Um, I got started in photography from a very young age, really, but I didn't realize it until 2013 that I said, OK, I should get better at this. I've always kind of played around with cameras over the years. My brother would have been shooting in film and would have developed film in the bedroom with me at the time. Um, and I often wondered, you know, like, what was he doing? Why was he spending so long at it? But Quickly, as I started to get into it, then I realized how addictive photography can be, uh, how it's good for your mental health as well, because it gets you out, gets you into fresh air. And that's mainly what my motivation for photography is. I could go off out with my camera and I may not come back with an image, but I know that I've had a good trip because I've managed to get out. So the camera effectively for me is an excuse to be active. How old is your brother? He's 10 years older than me, so he is 58. Okay, so you did you have that like sibling rivalry that tends to happen? Uh, thankfully, he kind of gave up in photography by the time I got into it. Um, it was around 2013, actually. I, I got married in 2013, and I always wanted to go to Borneo uh, for many, many years. And when we were deciding where we were going to go, my wife said, let's go to Borneo. And immediately I went, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I knew I managed, I married the right woman, you know. 
Um, and we went to Borneo and I had my, you guys in the US call it the Canon Rebel XTI, which for here mm. was the Canon 1000D. And this will tell you how green behind the ears I was because I was on holidays for on my honeymoon for three weeks. I brought the camera and I brought no charger because I said, ah, I won't need it. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, so I quickly ran out of battery. That was the first thing. And how I ran out of battery is we were on a, in the middle of the rainforest, we were on a river tour. And the guide said to us, guys, you know, I think we might be in luck today. There's some pygmy elephants. We saw them on the bank this morning. Hopefully they'll be there again. So get your cameras ready. And I said, okay, perfect. Yeah, okay, here I am. I've got my camera. And I very quickly realized I hadn't got a clue what I was doing because every photograph that I took was blurred. And I couldn't figure out until I got home afterwards um, and then did the research properly and realized that, number one, I was on a moving boat. Number two, you know, I was shooting not with the sun, but against the sun. Mm. And the elephants were on the bank covered by shade of trees. So every single photograph that I was trying to take was being overexposed, but I didn't have image, image stabilization. Plus, I wasn't on solid ground. So at that point, I said, okay, let's get better at this. And I kind of really dived into it heart and soul from 2013 uh, onwards to kind of figure out, you know, the, the first step, the exposure triangle. Once I got that, I said, okay, now I need to start fine-tuning and learning about composition. And it's been a, a hectic journey, I suppose, every step of the way since then. So it was 2013, really, that the passion got hold of me. And, um, yeah, I haven't looked back since. A hectic journey, but an enjoyable one? Oh, 100%. You know, I, I wouldn't do something for my hobby unless I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I think that's where, from my point of view, I'm quite fortunate because I know a lot of photographers globally, and particularly since the uh, the podcast, which I know we'll discuss uh, throughout this conversation. But one of the things that strikes me is you've got a need or a want to go take photos. For me, it's a want. It's not a need. Whereas if I'm from a professional point of view, it can very quickly become a need. And I think that's where the difference would be. So yeah, the journey for me, I love it. I love getting out with the camera, like I say. And if I get a photograph, you know what? Brilliant. If I don't get a photograph, it's still brilliant. You know, so um, I kind of have a positive spin in it in a lot of things in life. But most importantly, from photography, that's one most definitely for me. It's interesting you say that because, you know, as a professional who somebody who who makes their full income from photography, that need want balance is one that you constantly have to go like teeter totter one way or the other on, I mean, I could easily go make money doing something, but if I'm having that need feeling overwhelm me and, and make me not want to go take photos on the flip side, I could just say, you know what, let's take the day off. Let's just go shoot for fun, whatever I want to create. Um, is that invigorating for you as somebody who doesn't make income from photography? Yeah. Um, Something I think about quite a lot is thinking. Um, I do a lot of reading on mindset and why we think and why you think differently and such to me. And it's a big one when we break it all back down to motivation. You know, you're either motivated to do something or you're motivated not to do something. And if that motivation is created by you, then you're more passionate about doing it. But if that motivation is created externally, then you're kind of pressured into doing it. And something, you know, I... I made a video on my YouTube channel around three months ago and I, I called it YouTube pressure and I called it YouTube pressure is good because my uh, photography, it's evolved since 2013. Um, but I've been, you know, making videos and such like that. And that's a big pressure to keep it going and not miss a week of a release and such like that. But I could see very easily and quickly how that pressure can be overwhelming. But from my point of view, I wanted to turn it on its head and to use that pressure as a good pressure to keep me motivated. Because the only one that's giving me that pressure is me, nobody else. If I miss a week, nobody will notice it except me. And that's the most important part that keeps me driving and keeps me going. On your website, you say that you and your photography are authentically Irish. What does that mean? I could talk in Irish if you wanted to, and then they'll tell yeah. you how authentic it is. So you could yeah. say, you know, Conasatatu and Vultugama. So that means, how are you? Are you good? Tashe um, Gahaling is that it's beautiful. I mean, Ireland is a country which is so small, but I'm really, really passionate about my country, like most people are for their country. But um, with us, we've got a lot of you know, familiarity, I suppose, from the, 
the people, you know, were friendly, were outgoing. And I'm very much so the same as that. I could go and talk to somebody tomorrow who I've never met. And I know the fact that it's much easier for me to talk to somebody being from Ireland because most people have a connection to Ireland. So authentic Irish, I don't go around, you know, dressed as a leprechaun every day. Um, I don't drink Guinness for breakfast. But um, as far as the Irish uh, mindset and the Irish nation of people, I'm very much so passionate about my country. Why is it like... I don't, it, how many people in Ireland do you speak Gaelic? It's quite interesting. Um, so we've got a population at the moment of 5 million, just under 5 million. And that has swelled over the last number of years with people coming in from uh, Europe and such like that. Everybody that would be born in Ireland and goes to school in Ireland will be exposed to learning Irish. It is part of the, the country. There's a number of, if you ever want to get a job in government in Ireland, you have to be fluent in Irish. So it starts from the age of four or five when you start in school, and it doesn't really finish until you get out of secondary school, which is 17 and 18. Now, the Irish that I know is my childhood Irish, let's just say, from the moment that I stopped learning. I didn't use it every day. We don't talk Irish every day in a lot of the areas, but we do have areas which are Gwaeltucht. Um, One of those areas being uh, the west of Ireland and Galway, for example. You can go into tiny pockets of the landscape there, and all the signs will change from English to Irish. You go to a store, the person in there, they'll speak Irish because it's the, the national language. And then you go to the islands that are off, off Ireland, like the Aran Islands and such like that, where you will have people that will only exclusively uh, speak Irish. So it's very much ingrained in our culture. But what I found is that in my younger years, when I first started, you know, being a young buck and going off out and then going on holidays, I found meeting up with other Irish people, it was a very handy tool because we could talk about other people that were close by us, mainly girls, and say that how beautiful she looked, but say it in Irish and she wouldn't know what we were talking about. So it's kind of like an exclusive hidden language, but we don't talk it every day. They tried to bring it back to life and you know reinvigorate the Irish language over many times, but because we don't use it on a daily basis, it becomes challenging then to remember the words. I do know that if I was to go off and you know study Irish again, I could become more fluent because it is within my mind. I have learned it when I was a kid, but um, I'm learning it now again through my own kids because I sent them to a preschool, which was an Irish preschool, and they'd, they'd teach them Irish words, and then they'd come home and they'd say a word to me in Irish, and I'd go, oh, hang on, I know what that is, and I'd remember what it was. So I'm kind of learning it for a second round through my kids vicariously. But um, the Irish language is a very, very complicated language to to learn, even more complicated to listen, I think. Hmm. Do, where do, do you know where it derives from? Um, the, from Ireland, I imagine. I mean, it's a Celtic language. Um, mm-hmm. So you will have um, Ireland. Then you've got the Scots as well, which you speak a bit of Celt. You also have a bit of Celt as well in some of the names like Buchel, of Moor, which is in Scotland. Buchel is an Irish word um, for boy. But I mean, you'll have some, you know, similarities that will move around because in, in the Celtic area, it's Ireland and England, let's just say. But the Irish language has one, which is quite interesting. It was the, the English tried to eradicate the Irish language when they were trying to take over Ireland for nearly mm-hmm. 800 years. And the reason for it is because they didn't understand it and they didn't want people to be you know, talking in, in a language, in a tongue. So they wanted people to speak English. And they also um, banned teaching of Irish. So what ended up happening was hedge schools where the local uh, small villages would gather and hide in a hedge and they'd all congregate around to learn Irish and they'd hide because if they couldn't be seen. So it has a very, very you know long and colorful past, let's just say. One of the things that I always love to do whenever I visit a new country is take the first day off, no photography, and just do like a free guided walking tour. And you like tip the the tour guide at the end of of what you think it's worth. Um, When I went to Dublin, our tour guide was a comedian. So it was a Hmm. a fantastic tour, one of the best I've ever had. And um, he said there's a phrase in Ireland that that's the crack is 90. And is that an actual phrase people use or was he, I've never known is it, was he just like messing with me in that? 
Uh, yeah, it is a phrase. I mean, the, the idea is that the crack was going so fast it was going at 90 miles an hour. And crack is an Irish word, right? Yeah, C-R-A-I-C. And it means fun, banter, laugh, joke, humor. Okay. I feel like whenever I've written that out to people, I accidentally, I didn't know it was Gaelic. So I've been writing it, you know, C-R-A-C-K, which (laughs) could probably be confused as like the cocaine is 90, which is not a good thing. (laughs) No, not a good thing. No, it's C-R-A-I-C. Okay. I won't make that mistake anymore. (laughs) Since you're so passionate about Ireland, do you kind of see yourself as an ambassador to the country? Interesting question. Um, I would never really see myself as an ambassador, but I could see how somebody would see me as an ambassador, if that makes sense. Um, You know, I try and take photographs. I try and talk about Ireland in the podcast. I try and make video on my YouTube channel. Um, Even my Instagram, my name is the Irish photographer, you know, because I want to kind of align myself, obviously, to Ireland. I wouldn't dismiss the idea of being an ambassador, probably by default more so than anything else though, because um, I have had people that have contacted me many times over the years that are in awe of the areas that I have on my doorstep. But I always go back to them and say, you know, I'd be in awe of the areas that you have on your doorstep as well. But it's because it's here, it is beautiful. It is something that we could take for granted. But when people look at Ireland, Ireland has the biggest population, well, not the biggest, but one of the biggest populations of expats around the world. Even in the U.S., the amount of Irish in the U.S., the amount of descendants, Australia, the same thing in the U.K., and then all across uh, Europe and the globe and such like that. But, you know, we spread far and wide for such a small country um, that somebody at some point will have a connection to Ireland. And if they haven't visited Ireland, they would want to visit Ireland. And if they have visited Ireland, they'd like to come back again because, you know, we've got a very, very interesting landscape. We've got a very interesting population. And I would hope, and I'd ask you the question, you know, when you visited Ireland, you were immediately felt welcome. And when you left, you were left with memories of the people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I I wouldn't class myself as an ambassador, but I could see where people would see that. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't mind if, if Falcha Ireland, which is the Irish Tourism Board, if they decide that I could become an ambassador, no problem. Ring me. We'll see how we go. <laughs> how can photographers, though, be better ambassadors to the places that they love, whether it be, you know, an entire country or, I mean, that would be hard for somebody in the United States or a larger country like Canada, um, just a specific region of where they live? Another interesting question. I think, you know, first and foremost, it starts with respect. And if you respect the area, then you're going to talk better about it. If you disrespect it, then you're not going to take the value and the weight of that area. So, like, you could have people that can be heroes of small towns. And that's more important than anything else because that small town is now put on the map because of that person. Whereas that small town might be insignificant in the bigger scheme of things. If we look at this example in the US, um, you could have many, many areas that would be overlooked so now somebody can start talking about it. They can put their area on the map and encourage people to visit and show what is available because the world's a big place, David. Not everybody is going to ever see everything that's available. But if I can share a small part of the the, the globe, um, which Ireland, like I say, is a tiny, tiny island, but it has a big draw because of the scenery that we have. And again, you know, respect. Uh, when I go off out into landscape, you know, we talk about respect for nature and nature's first is a very good example of the nature's first movement because you know there's seven guidelines within that I remember reading the guidelines and saying okay i do all those by default you know i don't deface areas i don't leave rubbish behind me i am always unconscious of the impact that i'm going to have there and then but also now in the social world what's the impact going forward and there's a number of areas around ireland which would be your kind of honeypot locations just like everywhere else but if we get the same amount of volume of people coming there over the next 10, 15, 20 years, chances are they will not look the same as they do now unless we treat those areas with respect. So for me, it starts with respect more so than anything else. Can respect for an area lead to a better composition? Uh, Yeah, it possibly can, because if you are invested in the area, then 
you want to show it off more for what it actually is. I mean, we've all done this. You know, I'm sure you did it when you visited Ireland. You know, even with a standard camera, not even a big camera or anything like that, you'll just take a snapshot. Um, whereas if you really want to show something off, you're going to know the area more. You're going to want to show it for what it can be. And also, you're probably going to want to invite somebody there through your image to experience it for themselves. You may not think you're doing that, but every image that you produce will either resonate with somebody or not. And if it does resonate with them, something within that image is resonating. And if you can capture the essence, uh, I'll give you an example of um, Irish Irish dancing, which is you know known worldwide. I could go and take a photograph of an Irish dance. It's a Kaylee, okay? And I could just stand there with my phone, take a photograph. Grand job, I'm just, I'm documenting a dance. But if I really wanted to take a bit of expression and to show it off and be passionate, I'd understand Irish dancing a bit further. So I'd actually get lower to the ground. I'd get down by somebody's feet. I would take a photograph showing the actual impact of the shoe hitting the ground, but also them within the image. So it's now more immersive. So I think a respect and a passion will ultimately allow you to create a better result that will resonate with more people, technically speaking. Can you Irish dance? <laughs> After a few pints, I can pretend I can Irish dance, yeah, but no, I can't. See, um, this is this is when we need video so I can like make you do it for me on <laughs> on camera. Well, the, the secret for Irish dancing is very simple. Keep your hands down by your side and just move your legs one at a time. One <laughs> that's, at a time. It? that's all you have to do? Keep your hands by your side, move your legs one at a time, but you have to make sure that you keep them in beat. It's actually, Irish dancing is very akin to tap dancing mm -hmm. and, you know, um, made famous in most recent years by Michael Flatley and um, Riverdance. And Riverdance started purely as an intermission for the Eurovision Song Contest, and it quickly gained legs because it was such an incredible performance. But that was more so, for me anyway, about the beat, using their feet and people to look and go, wow, this, this sound is coming from those guys on the stage dancing. There's no percussion. The percussion comes from the feet. So, yeah, you have to be in time. Keep your arms by your side. Don't be flailing around everywhere and just try and do it to the beat. But you could probably, you know, go on YouTube, search for something in Irish dancing and replicate it yourself. Even search the river dance and try and replicate it. I'd like to see a video of that actually, David. Maybe I'll throw it back to you. You can send me a video of you attempting to do some Irish dancing. Okay, but I need some pointers here. Does it get better after you've had a few pints? Yes, because you really don't care what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is a battle in itself, because if you're trying something new, you're like, what am I looking like here? If you don't care, you know, some of the best dance moves, I think, on every dance floor, not just Irish dancing, but some of the best dance moves ever were when people just didn't care and just got with the music and the music took over. Give me a shameless plug for your podcast. What is it where people can go find it? Okay, so um, my podcast is called The Irish Photography Podcast, quite aptly named for what we just discussed there a moment ago. I started it in September 2018. I'm at 130-something episodes. I have a very varied amount of content. I would have uh, local guests on. I'd have podcasts with myself. I had co-hosts in the past as well. It's a good mixture of everything photography, gear, gear reviews, uh, latest news, hints, tips, um, and then individuals, which I really, really enjoy meeting other people and learning from their photography journey as well. So the Irish Photography Podcast has evolved more than a podcast. It's actually a community and it's a community I'm quite proud of, to be honest, because I really wanted to showcase the work that we have and the level of talent that we have here in Ireland. And it's something that you know, I try to do as often as I can. The problem that we have, I think, with people from Ireland is that whilst we're outgoing, we are innately shy. So you could have somebody who's a very, very good photographer, but would be afraid to come on and talk because they don't like the sound of their own voice. That only happens for the first time, really. But um, after that, you know, people get used to it. But it's that first hurdle, I think, which is the challenge. So, yeah, my, my, my podcast is everything photography in all shapes and sizes. If there's a, a shutter on it, I'll talk about it. I think the easiest question for me to ask next is, is why podcast? But I want to think a little bit further. Why, why have you continued to podcast? One, because I enjoy it, um, which is the most important motivation. Um, but why a podcast? 
Uh, at the time, there was myself, Dermot, and John, so three very, very good friends, and we decided, you know what, there's a big need here in Ireland for a podcast based in Ireland. There's your podcast, there was Matt Payne's podcast, there was Nick Page's podcast, but none from Ireland. So we said, you know what, why don't we do it? We talk about photography all day long as it is. Well, let's not record ourselves talking about photography. So we did around 10 episodes of test episodes before we even went live. Um, just to kind of uh, iron out the cracks and such like that. But what we found is that we had a very, very good dynamic and it was an area that we could promote Irish photography in Ireland, but also globally. And it has evolved from that. I've got people that would listen to the podcast in the US, in Canada, in Australia, in the UK, and all over Europe, pretty much around the globe. Um, we actually have one guy, um, we actually, it's up to two now <laughs> in Hawaii. Um, and it's always interesting because what I decided to do as part of the podcast as well is try and involve the community more. So every so often I would have a segment on the podcast. Uh, it kind of comes from a Facebook group that I set up for the podcast. So we've got a Facebook group called the Irish Photography Podcast. And normally in Facebook groups, people post their images, you know, on, on, a, on a feed and such like that. But I didn't want the feed filled up with random images. So what I decided to do was Every Sunday, we would have a thing called a Sunday showcase where people can post their images, share it with the, the audience, what they photographed that week, what they're proud of, what they edited, but purely an opportunity to kind of get community involvement. And it went very, very quickly, uh, well, from the start. But then what I decided to do was to kind of integrate that into the podcast. So every so often, I record a podcast where I and another guest, so I bring another guest in, a random guest for that matter, and we both pick three images from the submissions that were in the previous week. And you could be talking anything from 80 to 100 submissions on a weekly basis. And we'll discuss the three images that we've each picked. And it's only ever happened once that I had a match with somebody else that was the other host. So that'll kind of tell you the level and the caliber of photographs that are being shared. So the podcast was a great opportunity for that. And it was just a good opportunity to talk about photography in Ireland and put something from Ireland created and cultivated in Ireland, put it out to the world. People do like to listen to people from Ireland. I've been told I've got a, a good voice to listen to. So in that way, you know, if we can spread that message and it'd be pleasurable for somebody to listen to while they're driving or while they're relaxing or while they're working out or whatever it may be, it's talking about photography. It's talking about Ireland and hence the name, the Irish photography podcast. What does it mean to you? You, you mentioned the amount of, of episodes that you've had released. You know, you've been doing it for more than two years now, running on three. All this work, all of the, the connections you've met, and you mentioned the word community. What does it mean to you that you've kind of built this community around a love and appreciation for photography and not just one where people submit stuff and, you know, then it goes by the wayside. They actually get to participate in the things that you do just around a passion for photography. Yeah, you kind of answered it there in the question, you know, it's the community. I think it's the sense of immersement and involvement. Um, I've had people that have reached out to me and saying, I've been listening to your podcast and, you know, I've learned so much from it. So if I can do that to help people and improve, then great. I think it's more so the connections that you would make with many, many people and the friendships that you would make as well. You know, a podcast, I think, is something that is very easy to listen to. Um, it's not that difficult overall in the bigger scheme of things to come up with an idea of a podcast, but there is a lot of work involved in it. I enjoy that work. I don't see it as a challenge or as a, an obstacle or a chore. When it does become that, I think I probably will curtail it. But for now, it's about meeting the people and creating those connections and friendships, like I say, that I've done um, so far. And I'm sure forever, how long I continue to do the podcast, I'm sure I will come across many, many people that are similar to me because photography is a great topic. If I'm interested in photography and you're interested in photography, even if we're not interested in anything else similar, we can talk together about photography. And that's what I love about it. That's what I love about the photography community and the community that I more or less could say that I'm proud that we've accomplished, um, but it's not accomplished yet. We're still on, the, on, on, the, on that railroad, let's just say. In, in this 
discussion that we've had going for the past few weeks, both me being on your podcast, you coming on this and, you know, just going back and forth and scheduling these things out as we tend to do. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot, you and me, about uh, the differences in the pandemic in the United States versus what's going on in Ireland. You know, you mentioned when we came on that you were still in lockdown, can't go beyond five kilometers. And you've also mentioned a couple times throughout this mental health and mindset for photography. Um, w- with what you're going through right now, having that continue to be, you know, put out a week and a week and a week of, of not being able to go past five kilometers. What's that been like for you mentally uh, and, and your photography? You know, let's take the mentally side of it. It doesn't even have to be photography. What's that, what's that been like and, and the creativity that comes out of it? Another great question. Um, I think it is one thing that has come to mind. You have to have resilience, but you also have to understand that in the current pandemic, you're not alone. Everybody else is in the same position, particularly here in Ireland anyway. I know globally we've got different restrictions and such like that, but everybody has been affected by this pandemic in some way, shape or form over the last year or so. From a mindset point of view, for me, photography is a release. I lead a very hectic life, hectic life from a typical Monday to Friday full-time job situation. I've got you know, two young kids, um, my wife, and they're things that take up a lot of time. But I think everybody needs to have a release. And now more so than ever, we are going to be faced with a challenge that unless we address it early, I think we're going to have a problem globally when everybody comes back out of the pandemic, which is social skills. So we as human beings are very, very social and we, we thrive and feed off it from other people. Even if we say that we're an introvert, we still like talking to certain people. If we're an extrovert and you can't go meet those people, I think that's a bigger challenge as well, because you don't have to curtail the extrovert in you that wants to go off out. And then again, resilience is what comes into play there. But I think when people go back out into the wild, let's just say, we are probably going to have situations where people have forgot to have how to have conversations. They don't have the confidence to be able to tell a joke in public because they haven't done it for so long. You're also going to be looking at people differently, whereas people, some people are huggers, other people shake hands. You can't do both of those at the moment. So there is going to be a natural distance from a closeness to people that needs to be understood and needs to be overcome. And Within the sphere of mental health, it's something like I say I do a lot of reading on. I want to understand things further. Um, And it has taught me a lot of the lessons that I've taught myself prior to the whole COVID that they've been valuable to me. And one is an example is to have empathy for others. I may not be in the same situation as the person I'm talking to, but I have to understand that everybody's life is leading a different route. And it has has taught me to become more conscious of others rather than me. You can get a personality type that will tell you everything about your life, whether you want to hear it or not, right? But you get other people that you have to drag words out of them. They don't want to tell you anything at all. That's fine. Everybody is different. But I think it's going to be a different playing field once everybody has free movement around. And even when you start thinking about big crowds of people gathering, the likes of airports as an example, Everybody wants to travel. Everybody misses traveling. But when you do travel, you've got that bottleneck of an airport. You've got the bottleneck of a plane. And then when you travel to this new country, you're now in an area where you don't know anything that's been happening. And I'm sure there's going to be a certain amount of fear and anxiety lurking in people's mindsets at the very beginning. Granted, that will disappear over time as people get used to it. But I think it's something we have to be conscious of that is going to be there and we need to recognize that it's going to be there early in ourselves so that we can approach that with an open mind and not to have a fear. Because, again, fear is something that can motivate or debilitate. And I have a phrase for fear. It's an acronym. It's just fear is false expectations appearing real. And it is something that you know I constantly remind myself about be it meeting people or trying to create something or trying to do a task. If you're fearful of it, then you've more or less got a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're fearful of failing, which ultimately means that your mind is thinking about failing. 
whether you should be conscious. I know we discussed this when you were on my podcast about sports and sports psychology. You know, if you think Henry Ford had a very, very interesting, Henry Ford has come up with a number of phrases, but one phrase Henry Ford came up with was if you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And when you think about that and let it digest, it actually is really, really powerful because if I think that when I wake up in the morning, it's going to be a good day, I stand a much better chance of thinking it's going to be a bad day because I'm actually now going to set my mind off on those positive thoughts. And that's something that, you know, photography allows me to do because I can forget about the Monday to Friday. Everything, all those problems and such like that, they're still going to wait there for me for whatever two, three hours I'm out with the camera. But what I have found is with the peace and quiet that you get from photography and you're not thinking and consuming whatever challenges you're having in your day-to-day life, the answer will lie right under your nose. So photography for me is very powerful from a, a mindset and mentality and mental health. And it's something that it's been challenging because I haven't been able to get out to where I wanted to go, but I still have. I still, over the last year, I've still released a video on YouTube every week. Like I said, I haven't missed a week. And that's been a good motivation for me to kind of switch off. Even if I have to go to my local woods, I'm out in 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. But it's a break from the, the general day today. And when I come when I come back, I'm refreshed. And also, like I said, the answer that I was looking for came to me without even looking for it. You know, you mentioned your local woods and I've been following your journey through this, going back to your local areas again and again the past, you know, several, several weeks. Yeah. What have your local spots, your local woods taught you about your own photography? What haven't this taught me about my own photography? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm a seascape photographer. I'm a typically a kind of a wide open Vista landscape photographer. But what the woods has taught me is a lot about composition. It has taught me as well to think differently, to look at my feet, try and find different compositions, which I'd normally walk over. But what it's definitely taught me is to appreciate the woods more because I would never really go into, my woods is literally 100 meters away from my front door. So it's not that far for me to be able to go. So I can get in there at any one point. I know it intimately at this point. So what it has taught me is know an area that if you get the conditions that you pre-visualize for a shot, you're not going to be that far away from going back to that point. Whereas if I go to a different place all the time, because I get the nice conditions, I may not find a composition. So I think finding the composition and finding the area and then going back when the conditions are as you thought or saw them going to be has been a great help to me. Also, it has taught me about seasons. So the same wood I started to photograph locally around about this time last year, I'd never gone in there with my camera. I'd walked there with the kids many, many times. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, this could be okay. This, But it was never the big, you know, crashing waves, the big cliffs, the wide open vista, the typical beautiful Ireland that you would recognize, let's just say. This wood is nondescript. It could be the same as any other wood in any other area, but we have some indigenous trees. So what it did teach me was to look out for seasons. And there was one particular photograph in my woods. It's close to a a number of houses, but it's been pretty much left to go and do whatever it wanted to do over whatever hundreds hundreds or thousands of years. And in the middle of this woods, I found one day this old abandoned wheelbarrow. And number one, it struck me as strange that a wheelbarrow was in here. But I can remember looking at the time going, okay, you know what? That might be a nice photograph. So I went back around this time last year with the camera for the first time. And I took a photograph of the wheelbarrow in spring conditions. And then I, because of the course of the time I was there, having to go back into the area again, I went back in summer when everything was fully covered over in leaves. Took the same shot. I got a different style. I went back in autumn. I got some nice colors. Again, the same shot. So I kind of said to myself, you know what, all I'm short now is snow. And I have effectively all four seasons of the same photograph. We did get snow, but unfortunately I couldn't get in on the day that it happened and the snow was gone by the time I could get in. So I missed out on that from this year. But it does teach me um, quite a lot about my own photography that, you know, look for the finer details. It doesn't always have to be on my wide angle lens at 16 mil getting up close to, you know, extenuate the foreground and have a nice background. The long lens can be really, really interesting. 
but something now that I've started to use a lot more, which was sitting on my shelf. I have it, geez, I have it since before 2013, which was the Canon 50mm 1.8, the nifty 50, the cheapest lens that you can possibly get um, new. And that has taught me a lot to utilize bokeh. And I think by taking out certain subjects and letting everything else fall into the background, I do think that it will help my photography when I'm allowed back out into the wild because I'll be picking out certain areas. I won't be shooting at f4. I'll be shooting at a wide open aperture, but not for a wide a wide open vista for something which wants to fill the frame in its own right. And that's what I found in the woods. I've gone to many different areas within the woods, and it surprised me how many photographs I was able to get from my local woods. Now, you know, granted, not every single image was a banger. I would actually question how many of them were a banger of an image. But for me, it was about using the camera, keeping the muscle memory going, keeping the practice, and also you know, teaching me that, like I say, there are different styles that maybe someday, if I'm ever stuck, I can go back in and get a photograph of. How has the YouTube part affected your mindset going into it and you know knowing that you have to capture video content and and also have you enjoyed it you know i'm just thinking off the cuff here have you enjoyed it as much as you have the podcast side of things i think i've probably enjoyed it more because i do like a challenge um it's i alluded to earlier on you know i've released an episode a week so 52 episodes in in 2020 let's just say overall that started out my year when I went to the Dolomites. I was in the Dolomites in January. And when we were there, we heard rumblings of this new virus that was over in China. And we were like, okay, once it stays in China, we'll be all okay. But um, as I was flying back, then we heard, okay, there, there are some signs of it coming to Europe. And I was like, okay, better get home. We were already going home at that time. But once I got home, I started to you know, look back on the journey. And it really brought to the forefront for me the value of my YouTube channel, not for my audience, but more so for me, because I was able to document my trip to the Dolomites. I was able to re relive and recreate the experiences that I had. Okay, granted, I didn't have, you know, smell of vision, so nobody could get the smells and such like that that I was experiencing, or it didn't have the temperatures of, you know, minus 14 Celsius on a frozen lake where even my tripod legs froze solid from a small drop of water that was on them. So by looking at the video, I can bring my mind back to that again. And what that, and again, over the course of the year has really helped me is putting the story together because I find that I'm really, really enjoying the videography. I enjoy photography. I enjoy the podcast, but the video is something that is unique to me. I'm the one that's placing the camera. I'm the one that's talking to the camera. I'm the one that's getting the B-roll. I'm the one that's deciding I want to get creative on my filming. But then when I bring it back into Final Cut Pro and I'm putting the whole thing together, I really enjoy then, you know, reliving it, but finding the music that suits it, making the cuts to beat, adding in any graphic on screen, adding in any uh, sound elements and sound design and putting it cohesively together that if I was to look back on this, I would remember that trip. And the interesting thing more so was that my YouTube channel only started really as a joke. It started with friends of mine. Um, I'd be off out on a shoot and there's a quite famous landscape photographer, Thomas Heaton. I'm sure everybody's heard of him. And I would, you know, hold up my phone and I'd be pretending I was Thomas Heaton, sending the video to my friends and go, oh, look at this. I've got this, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then one day I decided, I said, you know what? I'll give it a go for the crack, um, for, the, for the laugh, for the joke, for the humor. <laughs> um, and I recorded one and I brought it home and I hadn't got a clue how to put a video together. So it's now brought in another skill set that enables me to, um, like I say, utilize my photos and my video. But what got me thinking about creating the video is that I said I'd make it as a legacy for my kids. So um, there was many a time when the kids would wake up in the morning and I'm not there. I'm gone because I'm out for sunset or they're going to bed in the evening. I'm gone because I'm out for sunset. But by creating this archive of my trips, my kids can see where I was. They can see what I experienced. And if in the long term, you know, with YouTube and if I can monetize that when I'm gone, 
they might still have some small residual income that might come back in for them as a result of that. But at least they can still see me growing older over the years and I can see myself growing older, but I can also then see the evolution of my photography, but also of my videography. Because when I first started using my phone, now I've done quite a lot uh, of different you know, set scenes and such like that. I've kind of got it down. I know what I need to do. I get a lot of people that would ask me questions, you know, geez, Darren, how do you do the YouTube video? I mean, it's an awful lot of work. Did you think that it distracts from your uh, photography? The answer in a nutshell is yes, of course, more you have to do will distract if you're looking for light. But what I generally do is with my video, I will record my video outside of a key moment. And if I am talking to the camera about a photograph that I'm going to take, I actually have that photograph taken already because I've learned a couple of lessons over the time that, you know, I'll talk to the camera and go, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get this shot. I set the whole lot up, but then the light changes and I don't get that shot. So it kind of taught me a few different things and it's been a fun journey. I've really, really enjoyed it and I still continue to enjoy it. And I've actually asked myself the question a number of times, am I a photographer or am I a filmmaker? Um, I think I'm both be honest has it taught you more about yourself yeah it really has um it's about finishing the job i think you know you start out with something um that you visualize and then you go and do it and you may either mess it up and you could give out to yourself but you say you know what i've learned because failure is something that we all have to make to get better right if you don't make a mistake, you'll never know you're getting better at what you're doing. So, yeah, it's something I think that has helped me in that guise quite a lot. In terms of like all these things you're talking about, the podcast, you know, your own personal photography, the the YouTube channel that you have, none of it is is income making for you besides the the little bit that you can get from YouTube monetization. Um they're all personal projects for you. Would would you ever recommend to somebody coming to you and saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in photography. I uh, don't know whether to go down the route of X or personal projects. Yeah. Um, can you do a business project unless you've got a personal interest is the first question, because hmm. you have to ask where the passion comes from in the first place. A lot of people, and I've had a number of people over the years, I suppose, that, you know, again, would reach out to me and say, look, I'm thinking about doing this. And I'd say, great, if you want me to help you, no problem, I'll help you because I believe in helping people along the way. I'm no expert. I'd never proclaim myself to be an expert or better than anybody else. But at least if I can share with somebody the mistakes that I've learned so they don't have to make them themselves, then it becomes an easier task for them because, it's, it, optically, you can look at YouTube and go, oh, that's easy. I can do that. And, you know, they must be making X, Y, and Z money. As you know, I mean, YouTube, you might get enough for a packet of crisps. Great. <laughs> brilliant. You know, if I was to quit my job and go into YouTube full time, then I wouldn't have a house to live in very long because, you know, the, the, the revenue is minuscule. But if you have a passion for doing it and you enjoy doing it, then I think that's the most important part because personally, without your own motivation, like I said earlier, it's somebody else's motivation. And, you know, you're either, there's two types of motivation. You're either motivated towards something good or you're motivated away from something bad. And the away from something bad can be the detrimental one, but it can also be the good pusher, you know, because it stems from when we were kids. Our parents would say to us, you know, if you do that again, you're not going to get this. Or if you don't do that again, you will get this. The net result is that you're not doing that, that, that issue but you're either getting a reward or you're t having a reward taken away. And I think that's an important thing to understand that what motivates us in the first instance, you know, if somebody is looking to go into YouTube to, for fame and fortune, okay, do it, but you're, it ain't going to happen overnight. It's a long, long, long journey. And you have to make sure that you're understanding that that commitment needs to be there for the long haul. And it's very easy to look at others and see, oh, look, I could do that and they're doing great and I'm better photographer than them and so forth. Brilliant. Fantastic. And if you do it, amazing. Hats off. But it's a lot of work. But you have to you know, understand that from the outset, that the more you put in, the more you should, technically speaking, get out. But you will not get the results that you envisage overnight. Where can people go to find more out about you? 
I'm fortunate with my name, so Darren Spoonley. I'm the only Darren Spoonley in the world. So you just search for Darren Spoonley on YouTube, or sorry, on Google, um, and you'll I, I will pop up. Uh, nobody else out there will be distinguished, or I didn't think it was that page and such like that. So I'm on YouTube, which is Darren J. Spoonley, or Darren Spoonley for Photography. I'm on Facebook, which is uh, Darren J. Spoonley Photography. I'm on Instagram, which is uh, Darren Spoonley Photo. Um, or uh, I'm on the link tree, or I think it's called, um, where it has all my links to everything as well within that. I'll give you a copy of that link as well if you want to share that in the uh, show notes as well. Sure thing. See, you're lucky when, when people Google David Johnston, they find the guy who died in the Mount McKinley mm-hmm. volcano eruption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm very lucky with that. And you know, when I was a kid and I was growing up, I hated my surname. Um, because it wasn't Murphy or it wasn't O'Brien and it wasn't O'Sullivan and such like that. My surname actually comes from the Welsh and English border. So my father was Welsh. And when I was growing up, you know, kids teasing and stuff like that, I had every single name you could possibly imagine. My name was Darren Knifley, Darren Forkley. Then you get the Irish version of it, which is Spoonog. So Spoonog is the Irish for spoon. So you had people kind of oh, Darren Spoonogly. And then I even had a situation, a very young age, where in Irish, the teachers, decided that they'd try and give me an Irish name. But I don't have an Irish name. You can't get Darren in Irish and you can't have Spoonley in Irish. But some teachers had decided that they wanted to call me Darren or Spoonogly. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine, no problem. So I kind of always hated it. And I also as well, um, if I was ever ringing somewhere for a taxi or for a takeaway or for a delivery or booking anything, whatever it was, I'd always use the name Healy because it was much easier to use. What's your name? Darren Spoonley. What? Darren Spoonley. What? Spoon Lee. What? So I just said, okay, you know what? I just go down the route of Healy. But it's I'm glad now in my uh, older years, really, because it stood to me, you know, being it's so unique, as I say, all you got to do is search for Darren Spoonley on Google and up I'll pop. Well, he is Darren Spoonley. Darren is uh, Irish ambassador, a renaissance man of personal projects. Darren, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, David, for having me on. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And it's been great to be on the other side of the chair as well, I think. You know, I didn't know what questions you were going to throw at me. So I think uh, it was good. And I really enjoyed coming on to your incredible podcast. And well done on everything that you have achieved on your podcast uh, so far. I'm looking forward now to continuing to follow on on your journey too. Believe it or not, the podcast isn't over now. I mean, I know it's over on the device you're listening on right now, but if you head over to Patreon, you can get extended exclusive audio from this podcast on reflections of my discussions with Darren. You can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up to get the exclusive content and also membership benefits and different tiers for the support and help the podcast going week after week. I continue the podcast there talking about passions for places, community, YouTube, uh, Darren's podcast, being a podcaster and, and some of the benefits and challenges that come along with it. I would love to see you over there again. That's patreon.com slash David Johnston. Thank you for all the patrons who have signed up already. I'm loving the membership community that we have over there.